On today's show, Howie Klein from Down With Tyranny gives us the latest in the never-ending George Santos saga. We discuss Joe Biden's new chief of staff and why he's a horrible pick. And the speech Bernie gave last week was the most important as well as the most underreported story of the year. And I have some thoughts about guns in America, Joe Biden's handling of classified documents, Diamond and Silk, and Marjorie Taylor Greene's rise to power. Stay with me. Hmm, what does that smell? Anybody ever use Febreze? Febreze sounds like the odor you're trying to eliminate. Is that Febreze? You should spray something to, to kill that scent of Febreze. You should, your shoes. You should buy some, something to get rid of that stench of Febreze. I'm David Feldman. This is The Mop Up. Oh, boy. 43,000 Americans were shot to death last year. Six times more than all 7,000 of our soldiers killed overseas in Afghanistan and Iraq during the entire 20-year war on global terror. In America, you are way, way, way more likely to get shot and killed staying home than you are going off to war. According to the Gun Violence Archives, there have been 40 mass shootings so far this year, and it's still only January. Probably more mass shootings since I last checked. I do know that since the Monterey Park shooting, there have been two separate mass shootings in Louisiana and one in Mississippi. As we begin, police in Half Moon Bay, California, report there has been a shooting in the coastal community just 28 miles south of San Francisco. Police in Des Moines, Iowa, report two students are dead and another injured after a gunman opened fire at a school for at-risk youth attending Iowa's public schools. A school for at-risk students was shot up on Monday, begging the question, what American students aren't at risk? The ages of the victims and the shooter are not yet known. Every day, 12 children here in America die from gun violence. Another 32 are shot and injured. I need not remind you that the number one cause of death for children in America is guns. Not traffic accidents or cancer, guns. 43,000 Americans die from gun violence each year. Like I said, in one year, more Americans will be shot to death than all our soldiers who served overseas in Iraq and Afghanistan during our 20-year war against global terror. Each year, America spends more on weapons than all our potential adversaries combined. When all is said and done, America will spend $1 trillion on weapons in one year. 43,000 dead Americans each year from guns. We're spending a trillion a year 
on defense weapons. How safe are you feeling, America? How safe are you feeling, America, when you say goodbye to your kids as they head off to school? What does it tell you that Americans are for, far more likely to be killed by one of our own than someone from overseas? It's not the terrorists from overseas who are killing all these Americans. It's Americans, 43,000 a year. But we keep making and buying these weapons. We keep making and buying them. Canada and Mexico, they're not going to invade us. Russia and China, they're not invading us. Now, I'm told we need to spend $1 trillion a year on military equipment to protect our financial interests overseas. You know, keep the shipping lanes open. You know, I would be willing to accept that we need to spend $1 trillion a year on weapons to maintain our fantastic way of life. But I hate my way of life, and most Americans hate their way of life. Where is the uh, defense spending dividend? Where's the wealth that's supposedly generated by Raytheon and Boeing keeping us all safe? All this money for weapons, yet half this country can't come up with $1,000 for an emergency. Thanks for keeping the, the, the shipping lanes open. Thank you. Our way of life stinks to high heaven, and it's because Americans have a war economy that has trained us to believe guns make us safer, and they do not. Then, of course, there was Monterey Park Saturday night. California investigators say they're looking into the motive behind a shooting rampage that left 11 Californians dead, another 10 injured inside a Monterey Park dance club. You're looking for a motive? You're looking for why this happened? Easy access to assault weapons. That was the motive. That's why it happened. The question isn't why a 72-year-old man went on a killing spree inside a predominantly Asian-American nightclub. The question is why a nation with so many hate crimes committed against Asian-Americans, why this country makes it easier and easier for psychopaths to buy these guns. That's my only question. Well, I do have one question about the shooting in Monterey Park. One question. According to police reports, the gunman left the dance hall after he killed 11 people, injured 10, and entered another dance hall where he pointed a semi-automatic pistol and was prepared to open fire until this guy seen here. He's a 26-year-old hero, manager of the second club. This guy wrestled the gun away from the shooter and averted yet another tragedy. This is an incredibly brave man. The hero uh, pointed the gun after he took the gun away from the shooter. This is what I don't understand. He t took the gun, then pointed it at the shooter and said, quote, go, go, get out of here. Now, who knows if these reports 
are accurate, but why didn't he tie the shooter up until the police arrived? Why did he let the man go? Because it wasn't a television show. It was real life, and nobody, even a hero, is prepared to disarm a gunman, to look death squarely in the eyes, and then think clearly afterwards. So he sent the shooter, the alleged shooter, on his way, and the alleged shooter uh, later killed himself while sitting in his van. A lot of shootings in the past 48 hours. Maybe we're doing it wrong. Maybe instead of thoughts and prayers, it should be prayers and then thoughts. Guns in America. Guns in America, this is the single most important national security issue. Everything else pales in comparison, like the misappropriation of classified documents. There were something like 10 mass shootings since Friday, and we're talking about Biden's mishandling of 10-year-old classified documents? Really? Does anyone seriously believe that any of the documents Joe Biden took home with him were top secret? Maybe classified. But do you think they had anything to do with keeping us safe, with national security? Do you think those files had some kind of inside information that Biden could parlay into a $10 million trade on Wall Street? Of course not. The important stuff... Nobody puts that into writing. Those documents were worthless. Instead of focusing on guns being the number one cause of death for children, we're focusing on these, these documents that don't mean anything. We should be focusing on guns. Or, I don't know, uh, the number of American school children getting free lunches has dropped from 30 million last year to 18 million this year. In one year, we've gone from 30 million kids getting free school lunches to 18 million this year because, because the rich don't want to pay their fair share of taxes. I mean, you know, instead of this classified material horseshit, we could be focusing on real national security issues like America's childhood malnutrition. The cost of food is skyrocketing and parents can't afford to feed their kids. And you can't educate children on an empty stomach. At risk, students are getting shot. Our children are dying from guns. We can't feed them. But the big story is a box in Joe Biden's garage that contains one of Barack Obama's lunch orders from the Situation Room, a lunch order marked classified because Barack Obama didn't want Michelle knowing that on the night he killed Osama bin Laden, under sides, he checked cheesy fries instead of a salad. Michelle would kill him if she knew that he ordered cheesy fries instead of a salad, so they marked that order classified. By the way, interestingly enough, this is a photo from the Situation Room as Barack Obama 
and his national security team watch a live feed of the attack on Osama bin Laden's compound in 2011. It's very intense. Take a look at then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. She's covering her mouth in obvious disappointment. This is her realizing the raid was a success. And that means Barack Obama is going to be a two-term president. This is the face of someone coming to realize she's going to have to wait another four years to run for president. Well, I digress. Since there's nothing more important than what's in Joe Biden's garage, Fox News' Maria Bartiroma interviewed the new chairman of the House Oversight Committee, Republican Congressman James Comer from Kentucky, Kentucky, a state in which the poverty rate is nearly 30 percent higher than the national average. Mitch McConnell, Senate Minority Leader, also represents Kentucky. 30 percent higher than the national average, the poverty rate. Way to bring home the bacon for your constituents. And I'm sure all the people who voted in Kentucky really want to know what's in Biden's home once you remind them what a home is. Here he is. Here is Congressman James Comer of Kentucky with Maria Bartiroma talking about Biden's misuse of classified documents. Who had access to those documents because our national security could be at risk. Well, I this is is this treason? It's it's very concerning. Uh, we're not going to let up. I think that uh, we've got plenty of information to move forward. Yeah, even Comer had to think hard and long before answering that one. Is this treason? No, Maria, it's not treason. This, this is treason. Treason is trying to overthrow the government of the United States, or as Marjorie Taylor Greene calls that, tourism. I'm talking, of course, about Marjorie Taylor Greene, congresswoman and power broker Marjorie Taylor Greene, seen here with her husband who recently sued her for divorce. Gee, I wonder why. Speaker Kevin McCarthy, seen here talking face to face with Marjorie Taylor Greene, realizes she is a force to be reckoned with in his new 118th Congress and has given her some choice committee assignments like sitting on Homeland Security. Feeling safer? Sure you do. Martha Radich hosted ABC's Sunday morning chat show over the weekend. Here she is asking Republican chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, Congressman Mike McCall of Texas, Republican, whether he thinks Marjorie Taylor Greene sitting on Homeland Security, whether or not he thinks it's a swell idea. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, who was removed from all congressional committees in 2021, now she will sit on Homeland Security and the oversight in the new Congress. She doubted 9-11. She doubted a plane hit the Pentagon. She later apologized for that, but she said that in 2018. Should she be on that committee? You were on that committee. I will tell you, she has matured. I think she is. She realizes she doesn't know everything and she wants to learn. She realizes she doesn't know everything. She doesn't know anything. 
She doesn't know an effing thing. Well, uh, she has matured. Yes, she has. Uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene has matured, and now she's questioning COVID vaccines. She's matured past questioning whether or not 9-11 really happened. Now she's uh, insisting that the, the COVID ma- vaccine is killing people. Now, there's a new meme among the incredibly stupid, and that is COVID vaccines are causing something called sudden death. Sudden death. This is a tweet that uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, this temporal lobe seizure with bleach blonde hair. Uh, this is a tweet that, that she put out. I demand an immediate investigation into COVID vaccines and the dramatic increase of people dying. Suddenly, this can no longer be ignored and it is not political. And she is responding to news that Silk at the funeral for Diamond revealed that she thinks Diamond died from getting the vaccine. And Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be sitting on Kevin McCarthy's new committee that is looking into the origins of COVID. So who better than an anti-vaxxer looking into the origins of COVID? Marjorie Taylor Greene, does she even believe COVID exists? Or is that another conspiracy that's oozed from her anal fistula of a brain? Well, Diamond and Silk. Uh, Silk says Diamond died from a COVID vaccine. Do you, do you know who Diamond and Silk are? Diamond and Silk, 92% of African-Americans voted for Joe Biden. Black people don't vote for Trump because because he's Trump. And uh, Diamond and Silk are two very opinionated black women who realize there's money to be made in supporting Trump. And you know the drill with opportunistic people who go against their own interests and support people who... uh, hate them for how they were born, right? These are two women who Donald Trump hates because they're black and they can make money by saying they love Donald Trump. It's uh, very sad. And even sadder is Diamond is no longer with us. She passed away and apparently Silk finds uh, dying suddenly very suspicious. Uh, Here is Silk describing how Diamond died suddenly. It was suddenly, out of nowhere, and no warning. It was suddenly, out of nowhere, with no warning. Uh, That's how Diamond died, which is strange. I've never heard of someone dying without any warning. Usually you get a telegram saying, get prepared, you're going to die. And, uh, And it doesn't happen suddenly. It just never happens. Well, Anyway, a celebration of Diamond's life is no place for reflection on what a great person she was. Silk, talk to us about sudden death. So what I want to say to everybody is don't you dare call me a conspiracy theorist. Who's saying you're a conspiracy theorist? Just because you insist the 2020 election was stolen 
and that COVID is a hoax and the vaccine is killing people. Nothing conspiratorial at all about you. Please continue with your non-political eulogy, remembering your closest friend. Tell us what kind of mother she was. Tell me what kind of daughter she was. You were best friends. What kind of buddy was she? Because I saw it happen. I saw how it happened. I was there when it happened. And it happened suddenly. Yes, she died suddenly. And that never happens to people. Like I said, you, you get six or seven notes from the government telling you when you're going to die. And uh, it doesn't happen suddenly. You, you have all the time in the world to prepare. OK, so again, I never heard of uh, people dying suddenly. It is odd. Uh, continue with your non-conspiracy, non-theory. I want America to wake up and pay attention. Something ain't right. It's time to investigate what's really going on here and get some answers to why are people falling dead suddenly? Why are people falling dead suddenly? You mean like the 46,000 Americans who die suddenly each year from gunshots? Is, is that what you're talking about, Silk? Or maybe all these sudden deaths stem from Americans spending more than any other industrialized nation on health care and getting the worst results. Maybe that's why people are dying suddenly, Silk. 40% of Americans cannot afford a doctor. They either don't have health insurance or have health insurance but can't afford to use it, Silk. Maybe that's why people are dying suddenly, because they can't afford health insurance, which explains perhaps why U.S. life expectancy is on the decline here in America. Other countries have bounced back from excess COVID deaths, but Americans are now only expected to live to be 77. We live to 77 in Canada. Their life expectancy is nearly 82. Canadians live five years longer than Americans. They all got their vaccines. Silk, they're not dying suddenly. Yeah, they all got vaccinated. Every Canadian got vaccinated except this guy. And they're living five years longer than Americans are. I wonder what it is. Hmm. What does Canada have when it comes to health care that Americans don't have when it comes to health care? Oh, yeah, health care. They have health care and we do not. We go bankrupt if we get sick here in America. Silk, maybe that's what's causing all these sudden deaths that you're too chicken shit to talk about. According to the Council on Foreign Relations, there's an epidemic of Americans dying due to diseases of economic despair, like obesity. The economic despair that's killing Americans flows from the deindustrialization of our economy, says the Council on Foreign Relations. 
They go on to write that low-paying jobs or chronic unemployment leads to the types of financial precarity that give birth to alcoholism, opiate abuse, and suicide. That's from the Council on Foreign Affairs. Guns, poverty, income inequality, inadequate health care, that silk, silk, that's the cause of people dying suddenly. But there's no money for you. There's no money to be made for you, Silk, in blaming all these sudden deaths on the greed of the gun manufacturers or the greed of the fast food companies who market cancer, diabetes, and heart disease to the inner city, the greed of our for-profit health care system. No, no. The money for you, Silk, is promoting the intangibles, you know? Like, is the vaccine killing us? Crap like that. But addressing the real issues, the real problems that cause this sudden death that you speak of, you're too chicken shit to talk about that because you start attacking the greedy for causing sudden death, those uh, Republicans will cast you aside. And anyway... It was a time to remember the life of Diamond and former President Donald Trump headlined the memorial service for Diamond over the weekend. This was great. Uh, having sat through a three-hour service honoring the life of Diamond, when it was finally Trump's time to get up and speak, he reflected lugubriously as only Donald Trump can. He reflected on what he learned sitting there for three hours and listening to all those eulogies, three hours of his sitting there, hearing and learning about the life of Diamond. So he started his eulogy by telling Jesus's parable of the former president who was promised he would only have to wait 15 minutes to speak but instead was forced to wait three hours. He said, give me a little time. What do you think it'll take? Oh, about 15, 20 minutes, sir, in and out. I said, well, it could take longer. This is a little longer than 15 minutes, right? <laughs> that was his opening remark. He wasn't too happy having to sit through a three-hour memorial for Diamond because he's a busy man. And so after Donald Trump cleared the air and being kept waiting... Donald Trump got down to business and reflected on Diamond, who she was, her life, a life well lived. Get your hankies ready. This is Donald Trump remembering Diamond. How do we stop the cheating? How do we stop it where you get more votes, but you still don't win? And the answer is the Republicans have to get tougher. The top people have to get tougher. And, and you have to really swamp them. There's a level at which even they can't produce. And so if you win big enough, you're going to get there. And then once we're there, we're going to straighten it all out and get it back to where it was. But Yes, I agree. Diamond died way too young. President Trump, it's so sad. Yes. And what did you say? You were going to get the country back to uh, how great it was when uh, 
when you were president. Right, because nobody was dying suddenly when Trump was president. And then, uh, just when, I mean, everybody was just weeping. I mean, I'm, I can barely keep it together. Uh, then Donald Trump uh, talked about how much the team of Diamond and Silk meant to him. I'm, I'm serious. I thought I knew them both. I didn't. I knew, I knew Diamond, but I didn't know Silk at all. I just learned about Silk. I just <laughs> learned about Silk. The woman who was just talking, he, he, he met Diamond, but he, he never met Silk. Uh, let's play that again, please. I'm, I'm serious. I thought I knew them both. I didn't. I knew, I knew Diamond, but I didn't know Silk at all. I just learned about Silk. He just learned about Silk. The, the, the woman who just introduced you, Silk. Uh, you just learned about her. You've never met her. Uh, well, don't feel bad, Silk. There are a lot of great people Donald Trump never met. For example, Nick Fuentes, for example. He's a neo-Nazi who denies the Holocaust and talks about how white people are superior to blacks, Hispanics, Asians, and Arabs. Nick Fuentes, huge Trump supporter back in 2020, helped arrange many of the Stop the Steal rallies, which is why Kanye went to Mar-a-Lago back in November of last year and brought Nick Fuentes along. And yet, when he arrived uh, and there was some blowback, people didn't like it. Donald Trump said he didn't know who Nick Fuentes was. So you're in good company, Silk. You know, there are a lot of great people who Donald Trump is supposed to know, may have met, but he, he forgot. Uh, so, you know, he, he forgot that he met uh, neo-Nazi Nick Fuentes. Uh, no idea who he is. No idea who the self-avowed Nazi who worked so hard to keep Trump in the White House. No idea who he is, Silk. So don't feel bad. Uh, there are a lot of good and fine people on both sides of who Trump knows and who he doesn't know. Like, for example, David Duke. The KKK leader who endorsed Donald Trump in 2016. Remember that, Silk? Do you remember David Duke endorsed uh, Donald Trump in 2016? David Duke was very generous in his support of then-candidate Donald Trump, telling white nationalists that it is treason, would be treason to white heritage to vote against Donald Trump. A vote against Donald Trump is treason to our white heritage, right? And, uh, but Trump, Silk, Trump, back in 2016, he said he had no idea who David Duke is. So don't feel bad, Silk. There are a lot of great people. You're in, you're in the company of a lot of great people who Donald Trump says he doesn't know. Uh, here is Trump back in 2016 telling Jake Tapper from CNN that he's not going to disavow David Duke or the KKK or their endorsement because he has he simply has no idea who David Duke or the KKK are. He has no idea who David Duke is or what the KKK is. I don't know anything about David Duke. OK, would you just say? Unequivocally, you condemn them and you don't want their support. 
Well, I have to look at the group. I mean, I don't know what group you're talking about. I mean, I'm just talking about David Duke and the Ku Klux Klan here, but. I don't know. Honestly, I don't know David Duke. He doesn't know David Duke. He honestly doesn't know David Duke, Silk. Uh, So, and doesn't know what the KKK is. So you're in good company. He forgets a lot of great people. Uh, This is, by the way, uh, I don't know if you can see this. This is a clip from the New York Times, uh, 1927. This is when his father, Donald Trump's father, Fred Trump, got arrested at a KKK meeting. Uh, I don't know if you can see this. It's from the New York Times in 1927. And the, let me blow that up for you. Silk, the headline is about a Klan rally in Jamaica, Long Island, where the Trumps are from. They're from Jamaica, Long Island. And 1,000 Klansmen and 100 police officers went at it. And a Fred Trump of 17524 Devonshire Road, Jamaica, was arrested and then released. And we all know that Fred Trump used to live in Jamaica, Long Island. So how is he going to know Silk? How is it possible that he's going to know Silk? I'm, I'm serious. I thought I knew them both. I didn't. I knew, I knew Diamond, but I didn't know Silk at all. I just learned about Silk. He just learned about Silk, Silk. Don't feel bad. Donald Trump has no idea who David Duke is. He had no idea who Nick Fuentes is. He has no idea who you are. The same way Trump had no idea that the guy he agreed to take a photo with earlier this month at the Trump International Golf Club in West Palm Beach was Philadelphia crime boss Joey Merlino. Skinny, as he's known. Skinny Merlino is allegedly a crime boss from southern New Jersey and Philadelphia who allegedly, 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 allegedly has his fingers in gambling and extortion in and around Atlantic City. How is Donald Trump going to know who Skinny Merlino is, the guy in the picture with him? What does Trump have to do with Atlantic City or gambling? Why would he know an alleged mobster who's involved with gambling and extortion in Atlantic City? I mean, can, can Trump help it if an alleged mobster who just got out of prison wanders into Trump's hotel in early January and asks to take a picture with Donald Trump? How is Trump supposed to know everyone he knows? It's impossible. The man knows everyone. So how can he be expected to know everyone? Silk, for example, how can he know who Silk is? How how can he know it? Like, you know, when Diamond and Silk came to the White House. How was Donald Trump supposed to know Diamond brought Silk and that the person he was hugging was Silk? Or at the Trump rally, when Diamond and Silk introduced Donald Trump to speak, how was he supposed to remember that Silk was also on the stage with him? Or when they had this picture taken together? Or on this White House visit that Diamond and Silk made? How is he supposed to know that he's hugging Silk. Or when the three of them spoke at this Trump rally in 2020, or when Diamond and Silk stopped by the Oval Office, is Donald Trump supposed to remember every Diamond and Silk that stops by the the Oval Office? 
There must be hundreds of diamonds and silks who stopped by his Oval Office. Well, we were talking about guns earlier. There were probably six mass shootings since the last time I talked about guns. Uh, We're talking about guns. And Diamond and Silk, they loved guns. They love guns. Here they are, way back in 2018, speaking at the NRA convention. This was before they were incredibly popular. They didn't have money, uh, so they couldn't afford guns. They had to point their fingers at the audience. But uh, they spoke at the 2018 NRA convention. And the year after, 2019, the year after Diamond and Silk spoke, Congressman Steve Scalise spoke at the NRA convention in 2019. And you know why Steve Scalise was speaking at the NRA convention? For the same reason Diamond and Silk spoke the year before, because they're all pro-life. If you're pro-life... You're pro-gun. It's that simple. And here is Steve Scalise, Congressman Steve Scalise. He is a majority leader, House Majority Leader now. Here he is speaking at last Friday's March for Life. Nobody is more pro-life than Steve Scalise. Listen. We will never continue fighting for life. You'll never continue marching for life. Let's continue this battle. Let's win this battle. God bless all of you. God bless the United States of America. I'm sorry, I uh, need to hear that again, please. We will never continue fighting for life. You'll never continue marching for life. Okay, Uh, we will never continue fighting for life. You'll never continue marching for life. Yes, his mind might be a little off because he is a wounded veteran. The man served his country. He's in a lot of pain. And so sometimes he misspeaks. And he's uh, the House Majority Leader. And he's a great man, uh, a war hero. Steve Scalise uh, is from Louisiana and describes himself as this guy, David Duke. This is, I'm not making this up. Uh, Steve Scalise, when he was running for office, said, Vote for me. I'm David Duke without all the baggage. Google that. That's how Steve Scalise refers to himself as David Duke, another favorite son of Louisiana, David Duke. Steve Scalise says he's David Duke without all the baggage. And, uh, you know, so Steve Scalise obviously has the same views about black people and other minorities as David Duke does. But Steve Scalise is a wounded war veteran. So how are you going to hate a war veteran like Steve Scalise? Here he is at the 2019 NRA convention. He can, you know, he's limping out there trying to walk with, you know, he has that cane. You see he's walking to the podium and, and you know, he needs a cane uh, to walk. He can't walk uh, without a cane because the effing Vietnamese tore his limbs apart. He is a wounded warrior. Do you see him here? He is a wounded, let me blow this up here. He's a wounded warrior and the NRA is very grateful for his service to our country, putting it all on the line for America. I don't know if you can see Wayne LaPierre, the head of the NRA. He was also, he served 
uh, with Steve Scalise. They're comrades in arms. They both served in Vietnam valiantly. They served valiantly together, Steve Scalise and Wayne LaPierre, two heroes from uh, the Vietnam War. But Steve was injured, and uh, he must walk with a limp and a cane because, you know, He's an injured veteran. Here is Steve Scalise being introduced to the 2019 NRA convention to thunderous applause. Now, you may disagree with the NRA. You may not approve of the Second Amendment, but we can all agree that the NRA stands with our wounded warriors, wounded warriors like Vietnam veteran Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise is an American hero, and I'm truly proud to call him my friend. Please welcome the Republican whip, Louisiana Congressman Steve Scalise. Thank all of you here. How about this great convention? How about the President of the United States, Donald Trump? What an incredible patriot. What a great president. Yes, of course, he would bring up another Vietnam veteran, uh, Donald Trump. Maybe Scalise served with uh, Trump. I know he served with Wayne LaPierre in Vietnam. yeah, what, it's just touching to see a wounded Vietnam veteran walking out there onto the NRA, NRA stage and, and getting love that he deserves. Because the NRA, they love their wounded veterans. What a brave man Steve Scalise is. We have more pictures of Scalise and Nam leading his soldiers home from a three-day battle against the Viet Cong in Quezon. Uh, that was a brutal battle. Steve took shrapnel to the leg, uh, but he refused to be helicoptered out of there. He stayed on the battlefield. He refused to leave his men behind. And so Steve uh, Scalise came home from Vietnam with more Purple Hearts than he had room on his chest for. This is uh, Steve Scalise. This is a photograph of him almost dying in Vietnam from uh, gunshots. His body riddled with bullets from the Viet Cong. Oh, wait. I'm being told Steve Scalise is too young to have served in Vietnam. He just looks very old. Oh, wait, wait, wait. He's not a Vietnam vet. And Wayne LaPierre isn't a Vietnam vet. And Donald Trump isn't a Vietnam vet. Wait a second. I'm being told Steve Scalise walks with a limp because he almost died in June of 2017 when a gunman walked onto a field where Scalise was practicing for an upcoming congressional baseball game. So he's a uh, wounded little leaguer. Uh, Steve Scalise is a wounded little leaguer who got shot... uh, practicing uh, for a congressional baseball game. Uh, The shooter, 
got off 60 rounds, semi-automatic. Scalise was hit several times, came within minutes of bleeding out. And by the time Steve Scalise got to the hospital, he was near death. But thankfully, he survived. He survived. Still loves the National Rifle Association. Won't turn his back on the NRA. They were cheering him on. Still taking money from the NRA. No assault weapons ban. Almost died from guns. But he's remaining loyal to all those campaign donations from the NRA. And uh, he survived. And that's great news. And uh, turns out, you know how like Chris Christie is a Bruce Springsteen fan? Apparently he doesn't listen to the lyrics. Steve Scalise is a huge fan of the band U2. You wouldn't think that, but he loves U2. And Bono, Bono was playing Maryland a few weeks after Steve Scalise was shot. And I'm going to play you a clip of Bono dedicating In the Name of Love to Steve Scalise, who was in the audience that day. This is Bono. We are so grateful that Congressman Scalise and his comrades made it through. So grateful. We, hope we are so grateful. Bono singing In the Name of Love to Steve Scalise, because Steve Scalise is all about love. Scalise uh, was the victim of a senseless tragedy. He was shot several times, but he's not going to hate. No, in the name of love. He loves the NRA so much. He's so grateful for all those donations from the NRA. He's not going to turn his back on the gun lobby just because he almost bled out after getting shot with a semi-automatic, not Steve Scalise. He's all about love, in the name of love. It's too easy. It would be too easy to get shot and almost die and then blame guns. Not Steve Scalise. He doesn't take the easy way out. He doesn't blame guns. No, Steve Scalise leads with love. And that's why he's second in command of the House leadership right now, because it's all about love. And third in command is the opportunistic infection, Elise Stefanik, a Harvard graduate. And, uh, and she held a press conference and she said, one of the most important issues facing America is Joe Biden turning over our strategic oil reserves to China. We will also vote to stop the Biden administration from selling our strategic petroleum reserves to China. Yes. And the genius Steve Scalise, in the name of love, in the name of love for our oil companies, Steve Scalise, in the name of love, took to the floor of our house to attack all the liberals, all the Democrats who don't love our strategic oil reserves who don't, in the name of love, love the fossil fuel companies and all their campaign contributions. And by the way, if you want to hide behind the Green New Deal and global warming and whatever other name they attach to it, climate change, they change the name every couple of years because the American people figure out that all it is is an attack on American energy. Did you all hear that? 
Bono, did you hear that? Let me play that again. Whatever other name they attach to it, climate change, they change the name every couple of years. Yes, it's the liberals, according to Steve Scalise. It's the liberals who keep changing the name. First, it's global warming, and then the liberals change it to climate change. These damn liberals. Actually, Steve Scalise, uh, you're, you're a liar. You're a liar. The term climate change was invented by global warming deniers like you to make what's happening to our planet sound less terrifying. You're a liar, Steve Scalise. The term climate change was invented by this guy, Dr. Joseph Goebbels. I'm sorry, I always, no, that is uh, Frank Luntz, Dr. Frank Luntz, who is uh, Dr. Joseph Goebbels. There is no difference, and I will prove to you that there is no difference between Dr. Frank Luntz and Dr. Joseph Goebbels. Bear with me on this. Uh, In case you don't remember, Dr. Joseph Goebbels was Hitler's minister of propaganda who taught the world how to repeat lies over and over. The big lie, right? Dr. Joseph Goebbels taught Dr. Frank Luntz about the big lie. Keep repeating the lie until it's true. It was Hitler's minister of propaganda, Dr. Goebbels, who taught Dr. Frank Luntz that words can be lies. It's the words you choose that perpetuate the lies. For example, like changing the name of global warming, which is terrifying, change it to climate change. See, Frank Luntz, the Dr. Joseph Goebbels of the 21st century and 20th century, Dr. Frank Goebbels, invented the term climate change. And every time you use the word climate change, you're playing into the hands of Dr. Joseph Goebbels and Dr. Frank Luntz, two of the evilest men of the past 100 years. There is no difference between Joseph Goebbels and Frank Luntz, and here's why. Noam Chomsky said... He was voting for Biden over Trump, even though he has many problems with the Democratic Party. But he said the Republican Party, because of its position on climate change, is more dangerous than the Nazis. Right. Climate catastrophe. This what what the oil companies are doing to our planet is going to destroy the whole thing. And that's something even Hitler didn't want. But the Republicans, because they're an apocalyptic death cult, being advised by Dr. Frank Luntz, they are going to destroy themselves and all of us. Okay? Uh, So, when you uh, allow people like Dr. Frank Luntz 
to contaminate our language the way Dr. Joseph Goebbels did, when you allow Dr. Frank Luntz to contaminate our language so nobody can articulate what the fossil fuel companies are doing to the planet, when you allow that, then you are succeeding in destroying the entire planet, killing all of us, everybody. And that's something even Hitler didn't want. So Dr. Frank Luntz is facilitating all of this. Ergo, he is as dangerous, if not more dangerous, than Dr. Joseph Goebbels. This is from The Guardian from 20 years ago. Steve Scalise, this is proof. Remind your addled brain where the term uh, climate change came from. Let me read to you from The Guardian. This is from 20 years ago. Quote, the scientific debate, this is what uh, Frank Luntz wrote in a, in a memo to George W. Bush and the Republican Party 20 years ago. Quote, the scientific debate is closing in against us, but it's not yet closed, right? So Luntz knows that they're losing the debate, that, that climate catastrophe caused by the oil companies is a real thing. But because Dr. Frank Luntz is as bad as Joseph Goebbels and knows that he's killing everybody, doesn't bother him. So he continues, there is still a window of opportunity to challenge the science, Mr. Luntz writes in his memo, obtained by the Environmental Working Group, a Washington-based campaigning organization. Quote, this is from the memo, from Frank Luntz's memo. Voters believe that there is no consensus about global warming within the scientific community. Should the public come to believe that the scientific issues are settled, their views about global warming will change accordingly. Therefore, you need to continue to make the lack of scientific certainty a primary issue in the debate. That is the memo written by Frank Luntz, right? He says, yes, the science is there that the fossil fuel companies are destroying the planet and are going to kill everyone. But what you need to do is sow doubt. You need to sow doubt that the scientific community is all in on this, right? And the scientific community is all in on this, but thanks to the memo that Frank Luntz wrote, the Republicans began to hire phony scientists who, for cash, will say whatever you want. In the memo, this is what Frank Luntz says. The phrase global warming should be abandoned in favor of climate change. Frank Luntz, Steve Scalise, not the liberals, not the Democrats. It was Frank Luntz who came up with climate change. Mr. Luntz says the party, the Republicans, should describe its policies as conservationist instead of environmentalist, because most people think environmentalists are extremists who indulge in some pretty bizarre behavior that turns off most voters. 
this is very scientific stuff that Dr. Frank Luntz is doing with the English language and killing us all at the same time. That's Dr. Frank Luntz. Here's uh, Dr. Frank Luntz with his mother and his father. And here's Dr. Frank Luntz. Let me get a close-up here. This is uh, Dr. Frank Luntz with uh, Newt Gingrich and uh, Dick Armey uh, in 1994 when they introduced the contract with America. That would be Frank Luntz. Now, no different from Dr. Joseph Goebbels. And as you can see from those quotes from The Guardian, possibly uh, might end up having more blood on his hands than uh, Joseph Goebbels. Now, I don't know if you can see this. Let me get a little closer here for you. Uh, Frank Luntz uh, wears a toupee. The man who twists language is obsessed with how we sound, but unfortunately not with how we look. Uh, the man who continues Dr. Joseph Goebbels' mission to spread the big lie is wearing the big lie on top of his head. Now, I know this guy, and everybody knows he wears a toupee, so he's making us complicit in the big lie, as only Dr. Joseph Goebbels could. With that toupee, Frank, Dr. Dr. Frank Luntz is saying, look at my toupee, it's a lie. And none of you are gonna say it's a toupee because if I keep wearing this lie over and over again, people will get used to the lie on top of my head. And eventually they either think this lie on top of my head is real or they stop caring about the lie on top of my head. Here is a never seen before picture of Frank Luntz without his toupee. Let me get close here. This is Frank Luntz, and I apologize to my podcast listeners. Uh, you can't see this, but this is a, an actual picture taken of Dr. Frank Luntz inside the locker room of his gym, and he's not wearing his toupee. And, you know, I don't know, except for the 666 that's been seared into his forehead by the devil, I think he looks better with a shaved head. You know, except for the mark of the devil, he looks terrific. That would be F Dr. Frank Luntz, who created climate change. Steve Scalise it was the Republicans who came up with climate change. You know, you cannot destroy a democracy without twisting language, without confusing ordinary voters by making words meaningless. And that's Dr. Frank Luntz's expertise. Dr. Frank Luntz and the entire Republican Party, like Steve Scalise, they rely on low information voters. And when the lies are fast and furious, nobody can keep track. That's how Steve Scalise gets away with accusing the environmentalists of coining the phrase climate change and not the paid professional liar Dr. Joseph Goebbels, a.k.a. Dr. Frank Luntz. 
This is the face of evil. Look at this face. This is Dr. Frank Luntz. This is what we're up against. Do you think this man has ever loved or been loved? This is the face of evil and loneliness. And yes, just like Dr. Joseph Goebbels, Frank Luntz, I'm sorry, Dr. Frank Luntz, just like Dr. Joseph Goebbels, Dr. Frank Luntz is a mental deformity that should have never been born. But just like Dr. Joseph Goebbels, I cannot feel sorry for Dr. Frank Luntz because he's getting us all killed. In the 20 years since Dr. Frank Luntz helped craft the Republican message on global warming, millions have died from drought, famine, hurricane, and floods, all because of fossil fuels. And this will continue and get worse until we put Dr. Frank Luntz, the oil companies, and the Republican Party out of business. And it's not just here in America. The Amazon is being destroyed in Brazil. And for the past four years, the destruction, the burning of the Amazon has accelerated under the leadership of Bolsonaro, who caters, like the Republicans here in America, Bolsonaro caters to the logging, mining, farming, and fossil fuel industries that profit off the destruction of the Amazon and our entire planet. Bolsonaro is a fascist who claimed election fraud a year before last October's election, which he lost to Lula. Bolsonaro, a fascist, was advised on the whole election fraud thing by Steve Bannon, fascist, as well as several other Trump staffers, including Donald Trump, fascist. That's why on January 8th of this year, this happened in Brazil. The supporters of Bolsonaro, low information ignoramuses, uh, who believe the big lie that the election was stolen, that Frank Luntz's hair is real, they, they stormed the presidential palace, the Supreme Court, and they stormed Congress in an attempt to restore Bolsonaro to office. Fascists love Bolsonaro. Here is how the fascist, Tucker Carlson, who never met an authoritarian he didn't love, here is how Tucker Carlson reported on this attempted insurrection. A convicted criminal called Lula da Silva is now the president of the most important country in South America. A convicted criminal, Lula da Silva. Lula is a leftist. He is perhaps Brazil's greatest president. This is not the first time he was president. And when he was president before, he lifted millions out of poverty. Yes, Lula went to prison for more than 500 days because he was the victim of political persecution conducted by Bolsonaro's party. Calling Lula a convicted criminal is like calling Dr. Martin Luther King a convicted criminal. 
Yes, the two men were arrested for the wrong reasons by the wrong people. But Tucker Carlson, in the service of white authoritarian nationalism, spreads the lie that Lula is a criminal. He is not. Tucker also spreads the lie that Lula stole the election, the same way Fox News spread the lie that Joe Biden stole the election. Bolsonaro was president. Trump was president. The two men had all the power of the presidency. And yet they both had the election stolen from them. Here is some more of Tucker. Millions of people in Brazil understand exactly what happened. They know that their democracy has been hijacked possibly forever. A lie. It, if their democracy was hijacked, it would have been by Bolsonaro and not Lula. But Tucker, you know, it's so easy to lie when your audience is ill-informed. Please continue, liar. But there's not much they can do about that. Lula may be a criminal, in fact he is, but he has the full support of both the Biden administration and the Chinese government. So yesterday, in frustration, a group of Brazilian protesters swarmed their legislature. A group of protesters swarmed their legislature. That's how he describes the insurrection of January 8th in Brazil. Just, you know, a group of frustrated protesters. Out of frustration, it was, you know, perfectly harmless and understandable, according to the fascist white nationalist, uh, what's his name, Tucker Carlson. Then Tucker brought in journalist Matthew Tarmond, and I'm using the word journalist about as loosely as this guy uh, plays with the facts. Here is Matthew Tarmond uh, reporting about what happened on January 8th in Brazil. Well, it turns out, as the plot usually does thicken in these situations, that there were many an agent provocateur yesterday at these buildings and doing incredible gross damage, breaking windows and such. And it looks like this is turning into a Reichstag fire and being used to clamp down on these Democratic protests. The right. It's a Reichstag fire, which Hitler used to get the Enabling Act passed. Uh, he uses the term Asian provocateur. So that means he's saying by using the word Asian provocateur that the people storming uh, the presidential palace and Congress and the Supreme Court, they weren't Bolsonaro supporters. They were Asian provocateurs. That means they would be Lula supporters pretending to be Bolsonaro supporters. You know, the same way Tucker said January 6th had Asian provocateurs, that they were not Trump supporters. They were Antifa. Remember that? Antifa stormed the Capitol. Antifa, a non-existent organization, by the way. I want you to pay attention to how careless and dangerous Tucker Carlson is. Watch Tucker's reaction when he hears his guest use the term Agent provocateur, Tucker finds it amusing. Thanks to what was very clearly a rigged election. Well, agent provocateur yesterday at these buildings and doing incredible gross damage, breaking windows. 
see how he's laughing? Like he hears the term agent provocateur and he just thinks, yeah, I see what you're doing. I see what you're doing. You're, you're doing what the CIA does. You're lying and about, uh, about the insurrection and claiming it's uh, agent provocateurs. Look at tr- Tucker is just eat. Look at that. He just thinks it's so funny. You know, people are going to get killed, but it's funny because it's just a game to him. It's all a game. It's just lies. Say whatever you need to keep your audience stupid and ripe for fascism. And now they've set up a concentration camp where 1,200 Brazilian citizens are locked in the gymnasium and grounds of the Federal Police Training Center in Brasilia. Reichstag fire, concentration camps, the very thing fascists, crypto Nazis like Tucker Carlson and this guy, Matthew Termend, would support concentration camps. You know, so long as those camps were filled with the leftists, uh, what they're doing here is they are it's the fascist playbook. They use the tools of uh, the right uh, concentration camps, a Reichstag uh, fire, and then they twist it back on the people to make it sound like it's the left. It's Lula who is the real fascist. You know, it's Dr. Joseph Goebbels, it's Dr. Frank Luntz, who would be very proud of you, Tucker. I'm sure, I'm sure Dr. Frank Luntz, he's on Fox News all the time, uh, and I'm sure he's done some free consulting to people like Tucker Carlson on how to twist language back on the left and... uh, What's the term? Gaslight? This is all what Dr. Joseph Goebbels and Dr. Frank Luntz have taught the fascists in Germany and now in America or in Brazil. So I'm sure, Tucker, that Frank Luntz is very proud of you. I think Frank Luntz's mom and dad would be very proud of you. I think Frank Luntz and Newt Gingrich would be very proud of you. Call things what they are not. That's what Dr. Frank Luntz taught Tucker Carlson. Call things what they're not. January 6th, that wasn't an insurrection. That was just a protest. That was just a protest. A lot of frustrated people. And rightfully so, they should be frustrated. Right. Uh, When you learn from Dr. Frank Luntz, you learn to lie, you learn to twist language and turn the tables so you can say anything. You learn to say things like good Christians believe in tax cuts only for the wealthy. Dr. Frank Luntz has taught the Republicans to convince Americans that Jesus believed that only people who work hard deserve to be healed. Only people who earn it deserve health care and food. 
when you twist words, when you repeat lies over and over, you destroy the teachings of Jesus, you destroy what was really written into our Constitution because you've twisted language, nothing is true. And it paves the way for morbidly obese bullies like Donald Trump to get elected president, lying and lying, twisting the tables, turning language upside down. And it allows morbidly obese bullies like Donald Trump to actually get away with making fun of people by calling them fat. Donald Trump at his rallies makes fun of fat people. That's what Dr. Joseph Goebbels and Dr. Frank Luntz have done to our language. Well, if you enjoyed today's segment of The David Feldman Show, please subscribe to my channel and uh, hit the like button and pass it along to your friends. Subscribe to my newsletter. It comes out every Friday, and it includes an invitation for office hours. You should come to office hours. I make myself available to all the listeners via Zoom starting at 6 p.m. now, starting at 6 p.m. on Friday night, 6 Eastern. I am available to all my listeners. And uh, the way it's going to work this week is I will be there for the first half hour from 6 to 6.30 Eastern. And then the community takes over. And then at 8 p.m. Eastern, I come back and I will talk to the listeners for about 90 minutes. And then the, uh, the community takes over. So please come to office hours. You can get the link by going to my website and hit office hours. All you need is Zoom and leave some comments uh, in the comments section down below. I uh, respond, I read all of them. I try to respond to the ones that make me laugh. Thank you for listening. I'm David Feldman, reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak. Talk about a lot of important things, uh, but Howie Klein is going to give us the George Santos update. Joining us in Los Angeles is Howie Klein. He is the founder and treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates all around America. Howie writes Down With Tyranny. Everybody should be reading downwithtyranny.com. We're going to talk about Biden's new uh, chief of staff. Ron Klain is out. Jeff Zients is in. You say it heralds a dangerous time for America. And we're going to talk about and play a clip from a very underreported speech that Bernie Sanders gave last week. Really important. I'm glad you wrote about that over at Down With Tyranny. But first, let's do the latest on George Santos. Where are we with him now? It's funny when you say the latest, because that's going to depend on when people are listening to this, because there's new stuff happening all the time. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's funny. Last week when I was asking people, since all I write about is George Santos now, I may change the name of the blog from Down With Tyranny to <laughs> Down With, with Um 
last week when I was asking people if, they, if they've heard about George Santos, uh, I would say more than half said no. Really? Uh, since then, everyone has heard of him. Now, I, I think a lot of it had, of course, to do with um, Saturday Night Live. That really uh, raised his profile. Right. But he's, he, you know, it's not just Saturday Night Live. Every comedian is using George Santos. Of course. Uh, so anyway, I mean, so we, did we ever, did we discuss him being a drag queen? Did we talk about I that? I don't think, it's been coming in so fast and furious. I think drag queen is just a couple of days old. Okay, so so he he does he denies he was a drag queen. He says he what he says is that yes, of course he was a young man. He loved dressing up in women's clothes, doesn't everybody? Yeah. But he wasn't a drag queen. So uh, did you ever dress up in women's clothes? Did I ever stop? Should be the question. <laughs> okay, I. Uh, I never did. I never. I, I don't know why. I, I, I just. I when I first told my mother, I I was gay. She said to me, "Does that mean you're going to try to wear my?" Or, or she actually, can't, you can't wear my wigs, or something to that effect. But I had never thought about wearing her wigs or anything else of hers. Right. So I never really. Thought that. You know, I met this guy one time who was on the Stanford football team. He was kind of a star. He was a totally hot guy, and. He we he was very drunk when I met him. I was on Van Ness. He was like sort of he was walking in the middle of the street, weaving in and out of traffic. So I said, "Quick, get in my car," and he did. And I, and I brought him back to my house. This is a different time, you know, a different era when you did things like that, or when I did things like that. Obviously, that's many decades ago. But in any case, I um, he said he wouldn't do anything unless I unless he could uh, have women's clothes to wear which I thought was really weird. He has this big, huge football player. Fortunately, um, a, one of the singers in one of my bands was also pretty big. And so it was like two in the morning and we went to her house and, and I yelled up and her husband threw down one of her dresses. <laughs> and, but, but this guy, uh, we wound up having a, a long time affair and he had a drawer in my house and in the drawer were women's everything, all the things that women have, including makeup. And he would come over, this big, huge, macho guy would come over and transform himself into a woman. Mm. The strangest thing. I could never understand. He eventually got married to, to, uh, to an actual woman. I don't know if he uses her clothing or not, but right. what a strange, strange guy he was. Anyway, so Santo says he's not a drag queen. He just used to like wearing women's clothes. And going out with them, going outside with, with the women's clothes on. So, okay, you know, I mean, you know, uh, the thing is, is that a lot of uh, drag queens, well-known drag queens in Brazil, have said he was a drag queen and he participated in uh, drag contests. And uh, he, he changed. This one very famous drag queen said when he started, it was, he was kind of pathetic and didn't know what he was doing and would wear a plain black dress. And it wasn't until years later uh, presumably with lots of practice, that he started looking fabulous. <laughs> and this is an unfortunate piece of information because he's a Republican, and 2022 was the year they turned on drag queens. They just came after well, them. Well, he's not just I mean, it's bad enough that he's a Republican, but he's, he's even more than that. He is, he is a vicious homophobe who has endorsed and gone out of his way to advertise his endorsement, the don't say gay 
right. uh, a bill that uh, Ron DeSantos uh, has. So, because he's actually not from Long Island, he's, he, well, I think he's from Brazil, but he spent more time in Florida than in New York. And in Florida, he's carried on a lot about um, uh, about the uh, "Don't Say Gay" bill in, in favor of it, and and he's generally a homophobic. And, you, and here he is. You had talked about being in the closet and how sick it makes somebody in the head because it's a series of lies that you're whole life becomes you're living a lie and it is a slippery slope until you you just lie about everything all the time because you get used to lying but that doesn't in any way describe george santos right. who has thinks he's made himself out to be even gayer than he than he actually is <laughs> he may not even be <laughs> this gay is a really weird cuz he, he you know he talked about he says he was ma- he's ma- he says he's now married to a man but no one has ever met that man and he used to wear a wedding band, which he claimed was from was a wedding band that to celebrate the marriage of to this man. And now that people are asking him who's the guy, he stopped wearing the band. So I don't know if he's really been married. People who who know where he lives and say say they you know he we're at his sister's house. He lives in his sister's apartment. Say that they've never seen anyone else going going in there. That there's no there's no husband. Mm-hmm. So you know that's a weird thing. Normally, a Republican would try to hide that. He's making it up, I think. Right. Uh, and he was married to a woman for a number of years, probably to get an American, um, uh, you know, to get American citizenship. But if he was living with a woman, or if he was married and it was a fake wedding, a fake uh, marriage, which apparently it was, and then you get a citizenship out of that, the citizenship is invalid. So that's going to be something that I, I presumably the Justice Department will they'll make they'll make that part of their investigation. I mean, it's a, a multi-faceted uh, investigation that they have to do. But I'm, I'm finding myself not because I want to necessarily, but just because the news just keeps coming. I'm finding myself writing about him every single day. And do you worry fact, that it's that it's pop culture and not of any import. Last week you were talking about his connection to the Russian oligarchs. What does yes. this story say to our uh, our body politic writ large? Well, I'm trying to uh, make sure that people keep in focus that, uh, for example, the number four uh, person in the Republican House hierarchy, um, uh, what's her name, Stefanik, Elise Stefanik, she was one of his biggest backers and she would go around and talk Republican donors into giving him money. Uh, and, and there were quite a few who didn't want to, who sort of sensed that there was something wrong there. And she vouched for him over and over and over and endorsed him. And, you know, she was his biggest backer. So that's kind of an important, to, important for people to know when they think about uh, Lee Stefanik. And she would, you know, the, she identified him as a uh, MAGA, uh, the way she's MAGA. Right. And then there's uh, the number one Republican in the House, Kevin McCarthy, who formally endorsed him, who went two weeks before or a week and a half before the election uh, and uh, headlined an, an event for him. And, you know, and now Kevin McCarthy, who is saying that Adam Schiff can't be on the Intelligence Committee because he lied about Trump's impeachment. Here he's put the, the biggest liar in the history of American politics on, on two committees, including a committee uh, that gets classified information. The, space um, and technology. The, the space technology. That's right. Yeah. 
Algy, I asked a friend of mine who, who was on that committee if, if, they, if they get uh, classified information. He said, absolutely, they get, they, especially if they get classified um, uh, briefings all the time. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a, a matter of record, and, and, uh, and this is something that's been acknowledged by McCarthy, that uh, a Russian oligarch very close to Putin put a lot of money semi-legally into, well, it's not really legal because he did it through, uh, uh, what's it called, um, straw donors, which is completely illegal. So he illegally put a lot of money into Santos's campaign. Well, I would imagine he's, he's interested in getting some of that uh, classified information. Right. I mean, what do I know? But that, why, why would this guy try to, I mean, he could have, he could have tried to ele- have him elected just to make the uh, Congress more dysfunctional, but I don't think so. I think he wanted someone who would uh, play ball with him, and he got Santos. Who was supposed who to have vetted him? Volleyball, it- as you know. He was a great volleyball star, one of the greatest volleyball stars of all times. Was it Tom Emmer who was head of the Congressional Campaign Committee for the Republicans who was supposed to have vetted him? Uh, no, it was uh, – Tom Emmer was the head of the uh, – uh, the NRCC, but who should have vetted him uh, even more was uh, the DCCC. That's their job is right. to vet him. You know, yes, Republicans should have as well. But uh, I would say, you know, let, let's put that at 25% and 75% of, right. the, of the problem there is DCCC. They should have been the ones to vet him. And they did a piss poor job. And the, the pathetic candidate who ran against him, uh, Robert Zimmerman, also did a piss poor job, did nothing, did no vetting at all. That is And now uh, the people, you know, a, a poll shows that overwhelmingly the people of, um, of, of, of New York want him out, overwhelmingly. But I was, the thing that really interested me in this poll the most was that, you know, the Democrats want him out, like, I don't know, a huge percentage. The Republicans want him out at an even bigger percentage than that. They want him out even more. And if they if he's I, out, then there has to be a special election. No, nobody's appointed. Right. If he's out, there's a special election. In which case, there is a state senator. Uh, I, I can't remember his name. I'm not in my computer right now. Uh, who who will run? He wants to run. But I will also. I would bet that uh, Tom Swazi, who was the incumbent and, and left the job to run for governor, he'll. I believe he'll run again as well. So the, the two candidates are picked by the, uh, the party, so there's no primary. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind uh, that the Republicans will pick the state senator and that the Democrats will pick Swazi, and Swazi already beat the state senator when, he ran, when this guy ran against him once before. Swazi is extremely popular in that district. He was the Nassau County executive for a long time. People really, really like him a lot. So I, I would imagine if he, if, he wins, if, he, if he runs, and I think he will, it'll be a landslide. Okay. It, it's, a, it's a slightly Democratic district. It's just that the Democrats nominated a, the most pathetic imaginable candidate last time. And uh, everything was going in, in the direction in that area, in Long Island in general, everything was going in the direction for, um, uh, for a, a Republican to win. And, you know, the, yeah, there was a lot going on. Lee Zeldin is a, was a Republican congressman. He was running for governor. He endorsed uh, Santos and um, that helps Santos and just and, and it really does thing. it calls their judgment into question it really does 
Well, yes, uh, yes, it you know, but really, it's not about judgment so much as about uh, you know team sports. Mm-hmm. There, you know, it's you know, I'm on team red, so therefore I'll endorse any Republican. In fact, when somebody called out uh, Stefanik the other day, saying, you know, you were his biggest uh, supporter. Her, it, it, uh, her spokesman said, you know, she supports all Republicans. It, it wasn't about uh, him specifically. Right. So, you know, and that's really the truth. They, although she was more for him than she was for anybody else. So that does call out her judgment. But in general, you know, Republicans support Republicans, no matter if they're good or bad. And Democrats do the same thing. They'll support a Democrat whether they're good or bad. And there were plenty of bad ones, just not as bad as Santos. There's never been anyone like, except for Trump, there's never been anyone like Santos ever. But Trump is very much like Santos. He'll just say anything on the spur of the moment. Doesn't matter what, what the, what it's anchored in. It doesn't, the truth is not a, 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 something that a character like Trump or Santos ever thinks about. It doesn't mean anything. So McCarthy said the ethics committee will decide what to do with Santos. Is there an ethics committee anymore in the House? There is. There, there is. What they got rid of was um, a, a, an organization that was more active. The, um, I forgot what it, uh, what it was like called. The they, and they disabled that. Right. right. The Office of Congressional Ethics, OCE. So, so the, 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 the House ethics situation has been a, a, an embarrassment for a very, very long time. And it's still an embarrassment. And, you know, Michael Guest, who I believe is a Republican from Mississippi, was just named to be the chair of the ethics committee uh, this morning. And, you know, I, I, the ethics committee tends to, not always, but they tend to vote uh, along party lines, which is not the way it's supposed to be. The thing is, is that Santos' case is so high profile that it's going to be very, very difficult uh, not to see this through. You know, remember, the, uh, the Attorney General of New York, the District Attorney of Nassau, the District Attorney of uh, Queens County, and um, uh, the FBI are, and as well as the Ethics Committee, are all looking into Santos. So everyone is going to be looking over their shoulder, wanting to not be embarrassed and not be accused of letting him off, knowing that the, you know, somebody, presumably the Justice Department, is going to find out everything. So if you he... Know, I, if I he look, go ahead. I was looking this morning on uh, Open Secrets, which is... Which is a, and it's funny, I'll tell you something, uh, David. Uh, a kid called me... Uh, the, the, over the weekend, he, he had emailed me and I gave him my phone number. And, and, and the reason he said is he listens to us speaking on, on, this, um, on this broadcast. And he, he had questions for me, specific questions. And one of them was, how, how do you find out where the money comes from and you know, what, how these politicians get funded? He wanted specifically to know. So I, I gave him the information and which websites to go to and everything. And one of those websites is called OpenSecrets.org, and they and they, although they get all their information from uh, FEC.gov, it, it, they make it easier to, to follow, it, you know, than than uh, FEC.gov. You have to put a lot of effort into FEC.gov. However, uh, when looking at right now, if you go to OpenSecrets.gov, and, and you can find out where all the independent, supposedly you could find out where all the independent expenditures for Santos came from. And they don't list them. 
hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars, were spent on his behalf, and and they're not uh, they're not listed there, which means they were that they weren't reported properly. So that's also very very illegal. By the and way. who is this going to be a big problem for? Because if we get rid of George Santos, does the George Santos problem go away if he leaves Congress? Is it a stubborn problem for the Republicans? You say there's yes, a- it is because uh, they won't let they won't let him go. You know, I mean, uh, McCar- this is a problem for McCarthy uh, and Stefanik and Emmer. I mean, they're all, and Scalise, the leadership of the party, they're holding on to this guy. They're putting, literally putting the uh, national security at jeopardy just because they don't have enough votes. And they're afraid if they, if they lose him and the other, I don't know, I mean, the other guy got out of the hospital, but I don't know when he's coming back to Congress, the guy who fell off the roof um, oh, from Florida. Stubby. Uh, yeah. Right. I mean, so they're they're in jeopardy of losing their their functioning majority and they can't afford to just, you know, throw him out just because he's a danger to national security. Right. So, you know, Adam Schiff is a liar. He lied about Trump's impeachment. He can't he can't be on the Intelligence Committee. Uh, uh, But uh, um, Santos, welcome. So could you venture a guess? Hypothetical. Let's say George Santos gives up. He just says, you know what? I'm going away. Hold a special election. That's going to happen. First of all, he needs to keep that committee as a bargaining chip. I mean, if, you know, when it comes time for him to be sentenced, which is absolutely going to happen, is he going to get 20 years or can you say I'll resign from Congress if you make it five years? So he's never giving that, that very, very, very valuable bargaining chip. He won't give that up. So he's looking Second at, all, he's looking at campaign. He hasn't made any money in his life uh, legitimately. So, you know, he's not going to give up that $178,000 a year right. to do what? To go back to working at a call center? Right. So he's back, back to in drag, in drag queen uh, tournaments or whatever they call them? Contests? What is he looking at? He's looking at campaign finance fraud, money laundering, yeah. illegal donations from Russian oligarchs, cryptocurrency? Yeah. I mean, what? And then he, he, he's looking he's looking at decades in prison for those for for his uh, his um, campaign finance frauds. And if he turns if he turns states evidence and cooperates with the Justice Department, who's in trouble? Who do you think would be in trouble? Um, him. He's 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 he's, he's you know, in other words, you can't go up from him. He's the, he's the one that they want people to turn state's evidence against. He's he's the uh, target. But is he smart enough to have orchestrated all of this? I don't know. I, I, he's, I think he's, he has spent an ent- his entire life uh, as a criminal. I mean, every single person that he's had contact with says he stole things from them, whether it was a scarf or emptying out someone's bank account, no one is no one is talking about him, and no one comes forward and says what a great guy he is. Everyone comes forward and says, "Yes, he stole this from me. Yes, he stole my jewelry. Yes, he stole my checkbook." Right. And it's all he's spent an entire life as a as a criminal stealing. Right. He really is Trump. He, he's Trump. If, if he's, he was, he's Trump, less less successful version of Trump. Born to a less but, successful you know, he wasn't family. Born, Trump is born wealthy, right. so he started out. I mean, they're both crooks. They're both, you know, uh, you know, they're both basically the spawn of Satan. 
But, uh, uh, you know, Trump is worse because he started on a higher level. Right, right. We're talking with Howie Klein from Down With Charity. Everybody should go to Down With Charity and read him every day. Can we talk about the shakeup over, not a shakeup, I think Ron Klain, Biden's chief of staff, is leaving. He wasn't asked to leave. Some people were saying because of the intelligence uh, documents found in the garage. Klain is just burnt out. People don't last as chief of staff, right? It's like a, a one-year job, two years if you're lucky, right? Right, which is, which is normal. Right. Here's what you that, wrote. You know, in other words, it's a, it's, a, it's a fairly normal cycle, and he's leaving. Uh, he's very, very, very close with uh, Biden. I can't imagine Biden would ask him to leave. I think he's bur- – I don't know that he's burned out, but I would think that's a good, uh, a good guess. This is what you wrote. And, and you know, he's, he was also as good as you could ever expect from Biden – I think that he was able to, uh, I think he was really a really good chief of staff. I think he did really a great job for Biden and for America. This is what and I'm afraid right. that the new guy who's coming in is not anything like that, that this is someone who will enable all of Biden's worst instincts. This is a, uh, you know, just an awful uh, predatory plutocrat. I think that's the best way to think of him, predatory plutocrat. Jeff Zions. Uh, Jeff, yeah. Let me let me read you what you wrote. You said, "I'm a Ron." Oh, please. I'm a Ron. Oh, I just lost it. Hang on. Uh, here we go. I'm a Ron Klain fan. I've had the feeling he took a president potentially nearly as useless as a president could be and salvaged as much as it could be salvaged the first half of his term. That's politically speaking. He was able to get Biden to usher in some major pieces of legislation that just aren't close to enough, right? Yeah, I mean, he he has good instincts and he, you know, everyone, all the progressives that I know in Congress have some all good stuff to say about him. No one has anything negative to say. They, even if they didn't get their way, they all felt they got a good hearing from him. They all felt that he was open to their ideas. And so in some cases, he accepted them. So uh, I don't hear anything but good stuff about Klain. Okay. And this is what you On wrote, the other hand. This is what you wrote about Jeff Zients. Don't expect anything like that from Jeff Zients, his replacement, who is likely to encourage all of Biden's worst conservative instincts and then you go on to say this is going to be a dangerous time for America. A dangerous time for America. He's that dangerous. We have a senile president and the chief of staff it winds up being the de facto president. It's, it's scary. No one likes to say it out loud. But uh, I feel like America would be a lot safer in Klain's hands than they will be in the, the I don't know how you pronounce his name, Zions. I think it's Zions, Zions. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, this is this is a bad character. This is a guy whose whole career, and and remember, he he already had uh, something like 150 million dollars before he turned 40. He spent his whole whole his whole career as a predator, basically preying on sick people. That was his business model: preying on sick people in healthcare and. Yeah. Yeah. And finance, healthcare, basically. Okay. 
So he's the enemy. Not good. All right. Do you? I have, hope I'm wrong. Do you? I mean, I, I really hope I'm wrong and that maybe he'll rise to the challenge, but I don't know that he did when he was in charge of, uh, uh, you know, the uh, pandemic uh, policy. I, I just, uh, I just get a really bad feeling about the guy. And like I said, I hope I'm wrong about this, but, uh, did I read over uh, you know, my telling me I'm not wrong and that uh, this is a, this is a bad situation. Did I, did I read over and it's dangerous for America because, you know, I don't know that he's, I, my guess is that he won't do it, but there is a chance that Biden is going to run for president again. And, uh, if he does, uh, and he's got a, a clod like, uh, Zion's uh, running the show, that means that, um, you know, DeSantos is going to, not Santos, but DeSantis <laughs> is going to be the president. Right, right. Well, that would be a great ticket, don't you think? Ron DeSantis and, yeah, uh, and DeSantis? Yes. Uh, <laughs> who, who do you, I, I guess you were saying over Down with Tyranny that Trump is going to try to run to the left of DeSantis. Well, not someone else was saying that. What I was saying is that Trump doesn't have any ideology, so he will. There will be things that he runs to the left on. If they, if it is convenient, things he'll run to the right on. He'll just be. He just wants to run over DeSantis. Whatever it takes is what it takes. And since he'll say anything without thinking, you know what it means for the future. Yeah, some of it will come out to the left. Some of it will come out to the right. Some of it will be just confusing. But, you know, Trump is going to do all he can to destroy DeSantis, and that will be uh, satisfi- satisfying and enjoyable to watch. Mm-hmm. Well, let's turn to a good person, Bernie, who gave a speech last week. He is now chairman of the Pension Committee. What is, he's got a new chairmanship that involves— Right, and pension is part of it. Yeah. He gave a speech, and I'm glad you wrote— this because it is the most underreported story, of course, because it's Bernie, the most underreported story of last week. I'm going to play a, a clip of Bernie's speech last week and we'll get your comments. And that is the rapidly growing concentration of ownership within our economy. In sector after sector, a handful of giant corporations control what is produced and how much we pay for their products. And by the way, when you talk about inflation, that has a hell of a lot to do with this concentration of ownership. Fourth point, and that is the incredible and dangerous power that billionaires have over our political system. We can We can hardly be called a vibrant democracy when a handful of the wealthiest people in this country can spend hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to elect the candidates they like. That is not democracy. And fifth point, putting it all together, and something we certainly don't discuss in Congress and certainly not in the corporate media, And that is that what we are witnessing now in this country is the rapid evolution of our society into an oligarchy in which the billionaire class has enormous and growing control over the economic and political life of this country. 
That is the reality, and that's a reality we must confront. So he also called our economic system grotesque and ugly and a disgrace. What is more important than this speech, Howie? Exactly. And he made the point himself of the fact that that this isn't stuff that gets debated. This is, this is really macro everything. And it never gets debated in Congress. They're talking about, you know, little petty uh, partisan nonsense that's not even that meaningful. And this kind of thing doesn't get talked about, uh, you know, in Congress or, or, nor, of course, in the media. Right. Um, and that's why that's why I ran a video on my blog of, of the speech and uh, took some excerpts and put them up as well. People should, you know, I, I, yes, people should read it. But people, uh, you know, should remember that there are no other no other members of Congress like Bernie. I mean, what a national treasure he is. Imagine. Yeah, imagine. Imagine. But so he gets selected. There's no bench to protect him. There's nobody. Who 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 would protect him? Sheldon Whitehouse. Pramila Jayapal, Ted Lieu. What do you mean by What do you mean by protecting? He would be savaged if he somehow got elected president in 2020, the same way Tip O'Neill and Ted Kennedy savaged Jimmy Carter for all the right reasons, because Carter was a neoliberal and Teddy Kennedy and Speaker of the House Tip O'Neill were lefties. They savaged Carter's presidency. The opposite would have been true with uh, Bernie. Uh, Pelosi and Schumer would have destroyed would have destroyed Bernie because he's too much of a lefty. I'm, I'm not sure about that. I, that's you talking, not me. I, I mean, I'm not saying that it's not the case, but I, I don't know if I would if I would say so. OK. Uh, Is he running? Any chance he would run? Yes. Some of the people who you mentioned would very much um, be on his team. I mean, certainly Pramila Jayapal would be on his team. Uh, and I don't remember the other people that you mentioned, but there were some others also who, who would be. And is he going to run? I don't know if he's going to run, but he, he may. People, people want him to run. But remember, Biden, if Biden gets out, it's going to be, you know, at least in the media, they're going to say, well, because he was so old. Right. And, you know, then Bernie's older. But as you, you know, said, I mean, people aged. The difference is that Biden in good shape and Bernie is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Howie Klein is the founder and the treasurer of the Blue America PAC. They raise money for progressive candidates. Read him every day over at Down With Tyranny. And who are the candidates we should know about and give money to? Well, I, I would recommend to people to go uh, and, again, give money on our Senate page to um, uh, Lucas Kuntz who's running for the Senate in Missouri. And he's, he's already running, and he's great and worth an investment. Okay. Thank you. And follow Howie over at Down With Tyranny on Twitter. It's, his handle is at Down With Tyranny. Thank you. I hope we get to talk next week. Oh, well, we will. We will. Great. Talk to you then. Great. Great job. Bye. That, that's Howie Klein over at Down With Tyranny, and everybody should read him. At Down with Tyranny. If you enjoyed this segment of the David Feldman Show, please subscribe to this channel and uh, share it with your friends. That's the best way to help us grow. 
And I make myself available to all the listeners of my podcast Friday nights at, what is going on there? Friday night at 8 p.m. I'm available to talk to all my listeners. If you have some suggestions, articles I should read, complaints, all you need is Zoom. And I hold office hours between new hours now, 6 p.m. Eastern. We start at 6 p.m. Eastern. I'll host the first hour or two, and we're figuring out what to do because it used to be at 8 p.m. So I have a feeling this Friday night I'll host the first half hour from 6 to 6.30, and then I'll take over at 8 and go till about 9.30. And then we have the community takes over. We have professors, teachers, conversations, music. It's really fantastic. So go to my website, hit office hours. The Zoom link is there. Or I'll, I'll put the Zoom link in the description of this episode. And if you subscribe to my newsletter, which you should do, every newsletter has the link for office hours all you need is Zoom. It doesn't cost you anything. I'm David Feldman reminding you to stay strong and protect the weak.